Thank you for uh, the privilege to be able to be here with you uh, this morning and to uh, open God's Word. Uh, Luke has uh, two birth stories uh, in the beginning of his Gospel. Uh, the birth story of John the Baptist and the birth story of Jesus. When uh, John the Baptist was born, his father, Zechariah, just burst forth in a song. And here's what he sang. This is from Luke chapter 1. His father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied. Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. He's raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he said through his holy prophets of long ago, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show mercy to our ancestors and to remember his holy covenant, the oath he swore to our father Abraham to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High. For you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins, because of the tender mercy of our God, by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven, to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the path of peace. This is the word of the Lord. If you're as old as me, you may remember the 1964 song sung by Simon and Garfunkel, The Sound of Silence. Or maybe you heard the Pentatonics cover of this song a few years ago. Hello darkness, my old friend, I've come to talk with you again. Every December feels this way. Days shorter, darkness sooner, Clouds and rain cover the Pacific Northwest. You had snow yesterday, not in Bellingham. <laughs> and then the church throws Advent into the mix. Advent reminds us that we're awaiting people. Despite the hubbub all around us, Advent reintroduces us to our old friend darkness. Before we get to the manger, we face darkness. And like the people responding to Elizabeth and Zechariah about the naming of John, people in the dark wonder, what then is this child going to be? What's going on here? What does all of this really mean? This season of Advent reminds us that often we're weary travelers, lost and lonely, searching for a way to go. You ever tried to walk in the dark? Anita and I once visited the Mark Twain Cave in Hannibal, Missouri. Uh, the tour took us underground along all these well-lit paths. A tour guide explained the cave and its marvelous formations. And after a number of twists and turns and ups and downs, the tour guide decided it would be a really good experience for us to be plunged into pitch blackness. There's nothing good about it. You can't see your hand in front of your face. I grabbed for Anita's hand. I figured she might be afraid of the dark. I hoped I got the right hand. Zachariah's world 
was thrown into the dark. For nine months, he was silenced, deaf and mute. Imagine turning to your neighbor without any words, having to tell them the most important thing you've ever heard in your life. Locked away in his own thoughts, struggling to communicate with the world around him. I mean, maybe some of you know his story. Luke begins telling it like this. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife, Elizabeth, was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. Righteous but old. I mean, Zechariah and Elizabeth were more than ready to be on CPP and OAS. Luke says they were very old. And still, Zechariah remained faithful to his calling to be a priest. He was one of 18,000 priests in Israel, and twice a year, for a week at a time, they would go and serve at the temple in Jerusalem. And Elizabeth Well, here's the problem. Luke says they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive and they were both very old. Elizabeth was supposed to be the mother of priestly children. But she was long past checking stripes on a stick. And worse, infertility subjected her to community scorn. Uh, The community would wonder about her goodness. Could Elizabeth, or even Zechariah, really be that righteous when God had not blessed them with children? Now, Zechariah could have divorced Elizabeth, but he didn't. I mean, after all, he was righteous. So they went about community life with shame dogging them. Zechariah reports for temple duty. The priests throw dice to see who would be able to go into the holy place to burn incense on the altar, and Zechariah got it. He will go to the holy altar alone. Everybody else stays outside to pray. Zechariah will represent the people to God, and then he will come out and he will represent God to the people. He would speak the blessing of Aaron over those gathered. It was a high privilege. Some priests never got to do this. No priest ever did a repeat performance. This was a -a once-in-a-lifetime experience for Zechariah. He enters the most holy place, lights the incense, and suddenly an angel appears. And Zechariah is terrified. And the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Now the priest would enter the holy place to pray for the nation, for the redemption of Israel, for the coming of the Messiah. Was this the prayer that the angel had said had been heard? Well, in a sense... The angel tells him that he and Elizabeth would have a son, a gift from God. And beyond their joy, their son would be great in God's eyes. 
He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. And he'll go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous, to make already a people prepared for the Lord. Oh, Zechariah greeted this news with disbelief. Or maybe he just lacked imagination. Uh, how, how can I be sure of this? He says, I'm an old man. My wife is well along in years. I mean, it's almost comic. This righteous man, maybe too dogged about his duties, tries to make sense of the angel's announcement. And rather than gulp in trembling belief, he says something completely silly. Uh, how can I be sure? I mean, come on, Zechariah, there's an angel of the Lord God Almighty standing right in front of you. What do you mean, how can I be sure? What more do you want? Well, Zechariah got a sign. Probably not a sign that he expected, but a sign nonetheless. Here's how he can be sure. Silence. His sign would be that he would need to be silent. Not only not able to speak, also unable to hear for the next nine months. Barbara Brown Taylor notes his disbelief yields silence so that he can't even finish his job. No blessing for the people. Only Zechariah playing charades on the temple steps in a feeble attempt to communicate what had transpired. Zechariah enters the darkness of silence for nine months. Like us, we're awaiting people. We seek signs. We wonder. I mean, where is the Christ who died and rose and will come again? Our prayers go unanswered. I mean, how much longer must we wait? And we face so many unresolved questions. I mean, what of our national wars? Russia versus Ukraine, Israel versus Hamas, the destruction, the inhumane loss of life. What about our culture wars, left versus right, progressive versus conservative, affirming versus abiding? We divide and separate all in the name of righteousness. Are we so right? And what of our pain? Tragedy attacks. Cancers lurk. Death stalks. And there don't seem to be too many answers forthcoming. I don't know that Zachariah's punishment's any less dark than our world. We get bombarded with words, religious words, political words, Twitter, Facebook, Facebook texts, emails, words to sell us more stuff. We wait in vain, hoping for someone to make sense, for someone to tell us what's really going on. Advent reminds us 
that we're waiting. Often waiting in the dark. And into the darkness comes God's promise. Into our waiting, God speaks a word of hope. Zechariah bursts forth into a song as he recalls God's promises. His song is a word of hope for awaiting people, a word for those stuck in life's chaos. He speaks to the true meaning of John's name, God's gift, or God is gracious. God is working not only to fulfill Old Testament promises, but working for the whole world. God is doing a cosmic work. And that cosmic work includes the life and call of Zechariah and Elizabeth's baby. So as Zechariah cradles John in his arms, he doesn't crow about the last nine months or or sing about the unbelievable experience of an 80-year-old wife becoming pregnant. He opens his mouth to give thanks to God to speak of the promise, of the prospect that lay ahead. The promises Zechariah and Elizabeth had staked their lives on were coming alive. They had prayed and trusted for years. They believed in the promises God covenanted with Abraham. They believed in the promise that a new David would come. They believed that a prophet would prepare the way. And now all of their longing, all of their prayer, all of their hope was about to come true. A gift from God. And the beginning of his song sings of the promise of a Savior. Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he's come to his people and redeemed them. The world would be set right as God fulfills those long ago promises of the Old Testament. Things would be different. First, Zechariah notes the promises made to David. He's raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. As he said through his holy prophets of long ago, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show mercy to our ancestors and to remember his holy covenant. The promises to David made of a a great king that would come from his line would be fulfilled in Jesus. Jesus would be the son of David through Joseph, his father. He would be the one to face down the enemies of God's people. But Jesus would do it in a most unique way. He would take all of the cosmic forces of evil that have oppressed humanity with pain and suffering, and he would take them on by being a servant. Jesus wouldn't face down Rome with their like with angelic armies wielding flaming swords. His weapon was a cross. In an empty tomb. And then Zechariah reflects on the covenant God made with Abraham, the father of the nation of Israel, the oath he swore to our father Abraham to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him with fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. The long years of pain and sorrow, darkness and death had so often possessed Zechariah's mind and heart But now, the promise to Abraham would be fulfilled. Rescue was on the horizon. No more cowering in fear. They would serve God in boldness. 
as N.T. Wright notes, Zechariah comes across in this passage, especially in the prophetic poem, as someone who has pondered the agony and the hope for many years and who now finds the two bubbling out of him as he looks in awe and delight at his baby son. He declares that God is doing at last what God has been promising for centuries. And God is doing so just when the people are feeling the brunt of hatred and oppression. They've been trampled by evil empires. Rome is just the last in a long line. But with Jesus, things would be different. Rescue and redemption from the powers that would be allow the people to serve God without distraction. The enemies of God's people would be vanquished. Not only vanquished out there, but also vanquished in here. Zechariah turns in his song to consider his son's calling. And he sees the prospect of a prophet, a son to prepare the way. A prophet, like Elijah, to make straight the way of the Lord. Maybe you've never noticed, but two of the four Gospels, Matthew and Luke, are the only ones that give us any details about Jesus' birth. But all four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, talk about John the Baptist. And especially John's fiery message of repentance. Luke quotes the prophet Isaiah to refer to John's ministry. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. Every valley shall be filled in, every mountain and hill made low. The crooked roads shall become straight, the rough ways smooth, and all people will see God's salvation. The Gospels know that John is the necessary advance man to Jesus. He would make the way ready to receive Jesus. John's sort of a, a bulldozer for Jesus. He makes the ground of the human heart ready to receive Jesus. God's divine visitor to the world. John was necessary because we need to realize how much we've sinned and how much we need God's forgiveness. I mean, John the Baptist condemns our greed, our thoughtlessness, dishonesty, neglect of the poor, our easy assumption that God's on our side. If we don't see our problem with sin, then Jesus would be nothing more than an annoying waste of time. Luke is clear. And you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you'll go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God. We cannot celebrate the arrival of God's Son without letting John the Baptist come first. There's no Christmas without an advent of realizing we desperately need Jesus. I mean, not many of you would like your Christmas guests to show up without you first doing the necessary cleaning, baking, and decorating. Well, in the same way, we will not be ready for Jesus' birth without letting John the Baptist clean house. Here we are, 
two weeks before Christmas, and the Gospel's question is, what will you do with the message John aims at our souls? You won't need Jesus the Savior if you don't acknowledge your sin. You see, not only does Zechariah sing of a Savior who would set the nations right, he sings of a Savior who comes to set us right. But to get right with God, you and I must repent. Turn around from the direction we're in and head in a new direction. Turn from our, our self-centered grasping for salvation from saviors that won't deliver. To get honest with ourselves, recognizing our self-absorption. To truly see what can be ours in communion with God. Zachariah's song, Zachariah's son, invite us to make ourselves ready for the Savior. He will bring the tender mercy of God near to us to forgive us. That's why Steve Bell sings this Advent song, Ready my heart for the birth of Emmanuel. Ready my soul for the Prince of Peace. Heap the straw of my life for his body to lie on. Like the candle of hope, let the child come in. See, Zechariah sings of the promise of God arriving into our darkness, a promise that speaks of a Savior who can and will tenderly forgive us. The promise of a Savior who sends a messenger ahead of him to prepare us for his arrival. That's Zechariah's word of hope for a waiting people. And all for the sake of peace. True peace in our hearts and in the world. It will only come when we are right with God. The rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the path of peace. The light coming into our darkness shows us the way to lay down our ambitions and passions, or better yet, will show us how to use our ambitions and passions for God. Light into the dark to guide our feet into the way of peace. That's not just any old peace. I mean, often we use the word peace in different ways. I mean, peace in the news is typically reduced to meaning the absence of war. If the bombing and shooting and terrorism of Israel versus Hamas cease, we might call that peace. But biblical peace is more than this. And other times we talk about peace as being a, a time of, of personal rest. We're at peace if we're calm and safe and snug. Well, that is peace. I mean, especially for a harried mother or father of a toddler. But biblical peace is so much more than this. True peace is more glorious than I think most of us can ever imagine. 
I love the way Cornelius Plantinga speaks of what the Bible means by peace. The Bible uses the word shalom. And when the Bible speaks of shalom, it has in mind how God, humans, and all creation are webbed together in justice, fulfillment, and delight. We call this peace, but it means far more than just peace of mind or a ceasefire between enemies. Plantinga notes, in the Bible, shalom means universal flourishing, wholeness, and delight. A rich state of affairs in which natural needs are satisfied and natural gifts fruitfully employed. A state of affairs that inspires joyful wonder at its creator and savior, opens doors and welcomes creatures in whom he delights. Shalom, in other words, is the way things ought to be. The mission of John the Baptist is to go before the one who is the rising sun, the Messiah. Jesus will give light to those who sit in darkness. God himself, the source of light, the one who said at the creation of the world, let there be light, will dawn on us, will come to us. Despite our tragic fallen condition, despite being enmeshed in sin, the light of the world shines into our lives. Our God in Christ will restore his original creation. The light of Jesus in his death and resurrection reverses everything. Our disobedience is undone. Our lives are restored. We have life instead of death. Earth has no sorrow that heaven cannot heal. In other words, our Lord Jesus opens the door for life to be just the way it ought to be. Advent reminds us that even though we walk in darkness, God promises to heal the nations. Advent reminds us that we may walk in the shadow of death, but through our repentance, God makes our hearts new. The rising sun came from heaven. We will celebrate his arrival in a couple of weeks. And the rising sun will come again from heaven to shine on all living in darkness. Whatever your personal darkness, whatever shadow of death you are walking through, it has been and will be overcome. The pain, the injustice, the despair that you feel today will be met by the shalom of God. For the darkness has been overcome and it will be overcome. True peace, life as it's supposed to be, you as you're supposed to be, will come. Zechariah emerges from a nine-month silence, bursting forth in song. The angel said it, and Zechariah sang about it. Redemption's coming. 
His son, John, a a gracious gift of God, will prepare the way. All the promises of God are fulfilled in the Savior who has arrived and will come again. The one to come, Jesus, our light in the darkness to guide us into the way of peace. Not any old peace. No, no. He brings and will bring God's shalom. The universal flourishing and delight of all. Every woman, every man, every child, animal, tree, plant, mountain, river, lake, the whole creation. Life as God meant it to be. I'd like to invite you and just into a quiet moment of reflection and prayer. And I'll do it with uh, these words from a hymn. Let all mortal flesh keep silence and with fear and trembling stand. Set your mind on things eternal, for with blessing in his hand, Christ our God to earth descended, came our homage to command. Thank you for listening to the Willoughby Church Sermon Podcast. The Willoughby Church Podcast Network also has podcasts about discipleship, the Heidelberg Catechism, and even a podcast hosted by some of the youth. You can find out more about the Willoughby Church Podcast Network by going to willoughbychurch.com.